been uh, I've been kind of reflecting uh, the past couple of weeks as I um, prepare to um, join the rest of the church body and national convention later this week, and and really finding kind of a humbleness to my own intelligence that that I've often prided myself. Um, I I've came across in my remembering through my past this example of a man that was at the church that I helped plant in St. Louis. He was one of our elders, Terry was his name. And Terry and I bonded over several things, but one of the things that always fascinated me about Terry was that he seemed to be able to do all of the handy things that I can never do, which, looking at my appearance, you could probably assume that I'm not a very handy person in any sort of way. Uh, but, But Terry was. And if I asked him how to put together an art project I was doing, for the church, he would he would be able to draw this whole thing uh, in a way to make it work. And I remember the church ceiling was twice as tall as this one, and he had worked out this uh, whole way of just me hanging banners very easily through the whole church. And so I asked him, Terry, how do you know? Absolutely, how do you know everything when it comes to putting things up and, and the mechanics behind everything? And he made a promise to me. He said that someday, as you get older and you become a dad, you too will learn how to do all of these things. And that has never happened. (laughs) That promise has never come true, unfortunately. That, uh, That wisdom has not come to me. But I do always pride myself on other things. And and, uh, one might be my intelligence or my way with words. But the thing that always uh, tempts us, I think, in the church and in the faith is to pride ourselves in our own piety. Piety is not a word that we use very often these days. Piety is the way that we practice, the way that we hold ourselves, the way we put uh, the word of God into action. And oftentimes, piety is the very thing that the rest of the world holds against us. That we see ourselves in our practice and in our ways perfect, above the rest. To not be measured with anybody else or any other sort of religion. And so it is easy for us often to consider our own piety as the thing that we can hold over others. We maybe have learned well enough in our scriptures and through our teachings, that our piety doesn't really stand up in the face of God. But that doesn't stop us from doing it before other people. Letting it be our justification and be the way that we want to be known before others. In Seattle, we often come up to where uh, our piety comes through in our perfect ways of thinking. The positions that we hold in order to make the world a better place. Our piety comes through of whether we are humanitarian enough or whether we know all the exact trails in the mountains. Our piety comes through in many different ways. The harshness of Scripture sometimes falls on us because of that. Because by the Word of God, we know that our measurement is not by the piety that we hold, either with God or with other people. In our reading today in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John are walking into the gates, 
They see the man who is there who is lame and needing to be healed. All he's asking for is actually alms. He's just asking for somebody to give him something to to use for food or to buy clothing or to take care of himself in some way. Peter and John kind of do one up and above, certainly. They heal him. And they look to the crowd that begins to gather out of amazement at this this thing that has happened. They saw the miracle happen. They knew that that man was not that way. And maybe they would have been more accepting of this miracle if it was Jesus. But these are the apostles. These are people like you and me. Though they hold a different office, they had this happen. They performed this miracle. But Peter, seeing into their hearts, hopefully by the Spirit, sees that they are thinking something. And he says, why do you look at us astounded? As if it was our piety that did this. As if it was my perfection, as if it was the way I hold myself before God that actually caused this to happen. After all, it's often our piety that we allow to gain us entrance to the table. It is our piety that we fall on in order to get our standing within the church. Peter says clearly, It was not his piety that this miracle came about. He says, actually, it's his name. His name. More accurately, the faith in his name by which this person now stands in full strength, whose ankles are no longer weak, but is able to get up and dance. By his name. makes sense to us because we know that it is in this name that even the demons shake and tremble. That it is in His name that someday all nations will come and bow their knee. They will lay down before the Lord at the very hearing of His name. We know that it is by His name that you and me will rise from our graves that within this name there is great power. The very simple name of Jesus. And we have to think that this name is not just a couple of syllables put, put together that hold magic. You might even know somebody named Jesus in our world today. But it's the name Jesus who is attached to the one who does these things power of His name lays in the one that it is given to. The one who is there at the beginning. The one who is there at your redemption at the cross. The one who is there that stood outside of His empty tomb. The one who is there who says, Behold, wherever you go, there I will be with you. The one who makes His promise that He will be coming again who will be there at the end of the things that we know to bring about all the new things. There is power in this name. Before his appearance, before his time came, people put their hope in the prophets. 
and then they kill them. People put their hopes in the law. They try to build up their own piety and make themselves their own nation, showing their perfectness before the world. But none of that could match up. None of that could stand. None of their names could cause the lame to walk. None of their names could raise the dead from their graves. None of their names could heal the blind and make them see. But this name of Jesus does. It has. And one of the main reasons is because this name is attached to restoration. Peter makes the same description right in the middle of his sermon that he gives. In the middle of the sermon, he begins to talking about that there will be a time of refreshing. That where the, the refreshingness of God will visit and it will work towards restoration. That restoration is that recreation. That taking of the old and making it new. Taking of the things that are dying and making them living. That restoration began for you already. Began in your baptism began in this font. Began when your name was spoken with His name. And that restoration will be brought to its completion when He returns for you. That is the hope that we have. A hope that overcomes the trauma of this world. Over whatever grief we may be experiencing, whatever losses that we have found, whatever temptation it is that seems to want to pull us away from God, there is a restoration coming. There is a time coming. And it's already began. It's already happening. Peter's description of it speaks of the ways that restoration invades into our present now, healing the sick, raising up the dead, empowering and emboldening the servants that he has. This is the call that you have received in life. You as the children of God who've already begun and been a part of this restoration to speak that name. For it's the name that has been given to you. It is the name that you carry out into the world. It is the name that is over your door, on our hearts, on our foreheads. The name that we have our hope in. Because our piety, our piety tends to melt away. Every time it's challenged. Every time we learn something new. Every time we go through some event in life. But there always seems to be one thing that remains the same the one who was in the beginning, the one who is promised to be the last, the one who is there at his cross, the one that was there at the empty tomb, the one who is with you in your baptism, the one who is at the altar waiting for us now, the one who comes to you in your dark places, the one who comes to you in your joys, the one who is with you when you are at home by yourself, the one who even sits with you in the pew, the one whose name is Jesus.
So let that name go with you. For it is the name that causes the dead to walk and the lame to stand up. Amen? Amen. Amen.